Welcome to Diverse Tech Founders, a podcast about the one thing older than capital, people like you and me. Now here's your host, Abraham J. Williamson. Okay, so we have Dr. Maya Doatuk here from USSC, Silicon Valley Extension School, part of the UC system. Excited about this episode in particular. We'll have to go back and confirm this, but I believe you were the most educated person that we have had on the podcast. Okay, so we're excited for all the wealth of knowledge that'll come. But for the folks who aren't already familiar with your work, just tell us a little bit about kind of your background and where you grew up. Right. So it's kind of funny. I feel like my background does not match at all where I am now in terms of just how I'm able to live my life. But we call that progress. That's a good thing. So um, originally, I'm from Houston, Texas. For those who are listening that are familiar with Houston, Texas, um, if you're familiar with DJ Screw, hmm, it's Sunnyside, South Park, kind of rough area. That's the area where my mom's side of the family is from. My dad's side is from Nigeria. I grew up in Houston, Texas, took my first steps in Nigeria and was brought into a family with very little means, to be honest. As my mom describes it, we had to come up to the poverty line with her and her generation. She and her siblings worked really, really hard to make sure that they were seeing some progress uh, through their lives and through the lives of their offspring. Let's see, around the age of 12, I moved from Houston, Texas to Virginia Beach, Virginia. From there, learned about so many things, but more so especially got more rooted in the idea and concept and practice, beautiful blessing of HBCUs. So yeah, uh, yeah, I went to Norfolk State University and that's where I was able to demonstrate my love and knowledge of chemistry. Shout out to the high school teachers who see young black gifted kids and encourage them to go into STEM. I had a actually older white female chemistry teacher, actually AP chemistry at that time. And she encouraged me to say, you should study this in college. I had never really thought about that before. I was aware of STEM because my mom is a nurse and STEM has always been a part of her explanations to myself and my siblings about the world. And uh, found out that Norfolk State had a four-year full scholarship. Kind of tricky getting onto it the first time, to be honest, but thankfully the director at the time was like, you know, your I think SAT scores weren't as high as they need to be, but gave me a second chance. Thankfully, was able to get it a second chance. It's funny how things work because that scholarship, the Denema Scholarship, that stands for Desaurus National Institute for Mathematics and Applied Sciences. When I first came into the scholarship back in, I think, 2001, the M stood for minorities. It now stands for mathematics. And that was controversial at the time. But long story short, you know, went through as a chemistry major, did not stay on the four-year full scholarship, but thankfully was able to get on another full scholarship that focused on material science because I was already studying, kind of created my own, uh, I guess you could say minor emphasis. So went out in chemistry for my major, but then really had a love for material science and studied that kind of on the side with no pre-scripted curriculum for that. And I was able to do that through our Norfolk State Center for Materials Research. It took me five years to graduate. So shout out to all those five-year <laughs> uh, undergrad students. There's nothing wrong with it. You can make it. So I did an internship for every single summer that I was in college, including the summer after I graduated. And that one was with NASA. One of the internships, actually two of the internships that I participated in was with the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. Ken Vickers, who was the director of the Microelectronic Photonics Engineering Program at Arkansas, they have master's and PhD program. And he came to Norfolk State University looking for black students because he saw the disparities in the field. And I was one of, if I recall correctly, three. I had this true love and passion for 
psychology. I would read psychology in my free time just for pleasure reading and um, had a really strong love for education as well. And so took me three years in that program, did not work out. I left that program in 2009, came back to Houston, Texas to regroup. And that's where I got my first job at Texas A&M University in Galveston as a chemist and um, as a lecturer and lab coordinator. And just really started doing a lot more research in the education field because now, you know, still working for a university, but wanted to find out more about what people go through when you are in the learning process, but also what you go through when you are in the teaching process. What I did not know at the time is that I was starting to fall in love with educational psychology. So from there, I found out that, you know, number one, educational psychology is a thing. <laughs> um, I did not know it at the time, but I did what most people do. I went to Google and I really, I really like how this happened because I naturally went to Google and I typed in careers, education, psychology, and Google doing what it does. It said, do you mean careers, educational psychology? I was like, that's a thing. Let's, let's go for it. So, you know, research as much as I could about educational psychology found out that there are so many graduate programs, even undergraduate programs. So this is one of those things where I have to remind myself, you know, a stop sign is not necessarily a stop sign. Most times they're detour signs. Long story short with that, she told me to Dr. Jackie Hawkins, I'm going to give her respect there, one of the most prolific people I have met in my life. She's currently a professor at the University of Houston. She encouraged me to apply to their EDD program which is in general, we call it applied educational psychology, but the name on the degree that I have is professional leadership in special populations. And so I went ahead and applied, thankfully was accepted and my life completely changed. EDD programs are nothing to play with. I know that there's a lot of talk about how EDDs aren't comparable to PhDs. I think that's not true. I know that's not true. <laughs> People who have EDDs, we go through doing original research. What I do appreciate about the difference between EDDs and PhDs is that PhDs have to become absolute experts on one thing, which is important uh, because they know that thing inside and out in their sleep. EDDs, on the other hand, have to become experts at several things and then figure out how to apply that research to real life. I completed that degree in 2016. And then in 2018, I started my job at University of California, Santa Cruz, Silicon Valley Extension. And that's where I really start understanding how powerful the tech industry is. I always knew it was powerful, but seeing it in action in the heart of Silicon Valley through um, living in San Jose and working in Santa Clara, having a job as a director of the engineering and technology department, having to be introduced to such concepts as embedded systems, VLSI, computer programming, understanding who the key players are so that I can identify experts in the industry who can come and help us develop curriculum so that we can offer it to folks. I was a liaison between higher education and the tech industry. It was my job to go out and find out who the key players were when it comes to engineering and technology, find out what their current workforce issues were in terms of gaps in knowledge, uh, predicted trends that would influence our curriculum, and figure out how to hire these people so that they can develop curriculum for us. Wow. That's a lot there. You packed in. It is. Shout out to, to your, your story because that is amazing. Starting out from where you came from, uh, right, right next door to DJ Screw, all the way now to some of the, the biggest tech companies on the planet. Uh, you kind of merged our second question in there about your tech background and talking about 
chemistry, about, I think you said material sciences. There's a lot. You might want to have to rewind this tape and go back and study and look up all of those terms and their definitions. But let's get into it because what you're doing right now, like you said, is at really the core of tech. Even though you're not at a company, your exposure to it is fascinating. So but for those who don't know and aren't aware, what is the UC Silicon Valley Extension uh, sort of program? And kind of tell us about its origin story, its purpose. I'll just assume that the listeners are familiar with the UC, the University of California system. And like most large university systems, they have campuses throughout the state. And the specific campus I work for is the University of California, Santa Cruz which is in Northern California as opposed to Southern California. Unlike our main campus at, in Santa Cruz, we do not offer degrees such as bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, or terminal degrees like PhDs or EDs. We offer um, credentials that show that students have taken individual courses, but we also offer some other credentials, more recently digital badges towards showing students have completed specializations, which we are calling our specializations a grouping of three to four courses that have a similar theme. And we also have certificate programs. One of the big certificates that I'm in the process of uh, creating is a certificate in artificial intelligence because artificial intelligence is a huge disruptive technology. It's not going away anytime soon and it touches pretty much every single industry you can think of. The vast majority of our students are working professionals, adult professionals who have already completed their undergraduate degrees and who are either in their jobs wanting to strengthen or upskill as we say or they're looking to have a career pivot and reskill into another either segment of their industry or a different industry altogether. And so that's where they come to us for that training, which is again, why it's really important for us to hire industry experts who I call them boots on the ground. They're not coming to, of course they have a foundation in uh, the theoretical concepts that um, inform the work that they do, but they're boots on the ground right there in the industries and those jobs and those cultures and they can tell students how technology is being used. Um, but also can give some further insight into different industry and company cultures. Got it. And also, thank you for checking me on the campus. I think I slipped up and said the wrong <laughs> campus. It's a, no it's, a, it's a very big system, but it, get, it gives us a, a chance to really kind of dig deeper into the extension program. So you're offering a lot of educational opportunities for people who are working, who may or may not be familiar with the various programs they can dig deeper I think the extension program is a great way to do it because you do build a community even though you aren't on campus, especially if it's a well-run program. That's probably part of your role maybe a little bit. I don't know. Is, is improving that, uh, that community. So who are the best students? Like if you're listening to this right now, you may be a founder, right? You may be an investor. You may be an operator. You may be somebody who's interested in linking up with the startup. What can Silicon Valley Extension sort of do for you? And who are the best students uh, in the program? If you have that passion for true lifelong learning, or if you are a high achieving high school student or high achieving undergraduate student, and you have the bandwidth to come and take some courses with us which are all online, by the way, thanks to the pandemic. If you have interest and uh, some prowess in engineering and technology, business and management, education, bioscience design, and the new content area that including is diversity, equity, inclusion, we are building courses around all of those major subject areas. And also, of course, respect is, is very important, you know? Got it. That's good. And you may answer this question like a parent would when asked who their favorite child is. Uh, but I'm going to ask you anyway, what is sort of the most popular course right now? They're kind of going off script a little bit, but I'm curious because it sounds like you all are, are really covering 
a comprehensive landscape. I mean, you all have a lot of courses that you can offer people from high school all the way up to, you know, PhDs or industry experts. So what is a course that you found that like, if you don't sign up early enough, you might get, yeah, might have to wait until next semester or next quarter, or is there a class that people just keep seeming to coming back to? Our most popular courses fall under our database and data analytics certificate, or our computer programming certificate, um, specifically with computer programming. Our Python courses are very, very, very popular. They're actually the most searched word <laughs> that we, we have on our website. We also have some popularity within our social media marketing courses, administrative professional courses, and Internet of Things courses. I think the more that we're building out courses around artificial intelligence, those are going to be widely popular, especially because I'm doing my absolute best to make sure that we partner diversity, equity, inclusion with everything that we can. So I think that's going to be another avenue of popularity. There are some very interesting and very important intersections when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion, and artificial intelligence. And so um, one class that we just created, got approved, is going to focus on um, AI, empathy, and ethics. So, you know, we're trying to make sure that we form courses that inform people in that space that you can build bias into data. You know, so we're trying to make sure that that does not happen. You have me on the edge of my seat right now talking about like just the impact and the organizational empathy and all of this, uh, because it's a hot topic right now, because it's not just about information. It's about the human element within these computers or within the computer sphere. So now that you've kind of uh, given us an update a little bit on where you are now, I'm going to ask you a question. It's just your opinion, not necessarily the UC system, but your opinion. If you had a million dollars right now, no strings attached, nobody telling you sort of where to deploy it, what you had to use it for. And you were like, look, I just, if you give me a million dollars, I'll put it here. And on the other side of that is going to come more than a million dollars in value. Where would that be? Like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button. This podcast is made possible by listeners just like you. So thank you for subscribing. And now back to the show. So professionally, because I have ideas about what I would do personally. Okay. okay. I will say professionally, what I would do with a million dollars, I would definitely give a certain portion of that. Not sure the numerical portion, but I would give a certain portion to my job, to be honest. We have a great marketing team. So if my marketing team is listening, this is not this. I love you so much. We have a phenomenal marketing team. I would make sure that that certain portion goes to full-time jobs was focusing on market research, period. That would go really, really far for us. That is powerful. It sounds like you have everything you need in the extension program, or at least in terms of the courses and the growth, you just need help telling your story a little bit more and just understanding what you're doing right. That is a powerful position to be in. Uh, and I think that's a great, and with that million dollars, hopefully somebody listening right now is saying, hey, we need more of that. And you'll get that money. I have no doubt about that. So what is the most profitable piece of advice that you've received? Because yes, you're in the education field, 100%. It's also a business, especially here in the States. And it seems like part of uh, what makes the extension school successful is you being able to capture more students, for you to add more value. That's a great question. There's not just one piece of advice I can point to, which is a good thing. And it came, the advice that I did receive came from different people, which is also a great thing. I would say since completing the program, my, my EDD program, I was told to take up space. Don't be afraid to go into rooms with your expertise and take up space. 
don't be someone who is just happy to be there because I'm the only black woman. I'm the only woman. Um, take up space. I deserve to be there. Michelle Obama said that. But thankfully, I also got that same advice from people um, in my personal life who has, have been mentors for me. One of the other really great pieces of advice that I received was from um, Dr. Jim Hammonds. He's actually um, my very first mentor in education. I met him when I was at the University of Arkansas. And he actually did not teach in the microelectronic photonics um, or even engineering department. He taught in the School of Education at the University of Arkansas. He said, okay, now I'm going to tell you, higher education is going to get a lot worse before it gets better. I had to shift from being a philosophical educator to someone who does understand very clearly that education is a business, just like you stated. I was a person who went from, I call it the Oprah mentality of education, where you get education, you get education, <laughs> and trying to always figure out how to provide it for free, you know, but education is a business. That's huge. You have a lot of... A lot of great mentors, people who are giving you some good games. So shout out to you. Also, uh, you checked me again. You caught me again on the slip up on the PhD EDD. Thank you for that. And it's something no top of mind now. I think it, there are articles about it going left and right over our new uh, first lady as well. So appreciate Let's talk about that. <laughs> so yeah, much. no worries. No worries. And yes, address her correctly. Dr. Jill Biden. If she were a man, it wouldn't be a problem. Like if we're being honest, let's just be real. She earned those credentials just like I did. <laughs> so yes. 100%. That's why I wanted to make sure I got it right. Cause in my head, I mean, like, like I said, most educated person on the show, but it's an education for all of us and really understanding that you have a terminal degree in what you're doing. And not only that, you are putting it to practice. Like you are teaching other people and helping the UC system to attract and draw in talent and then make them more talented people. In terms of, uh, you know, actually linking up with uh, the extension school, how do you make money? Like if I come in, do I need to sign up and, and get like a, you know, like a degree? Like am I getting course by course? Is it a program, a set of courses? What is sort of the business model for the Silicon Valley Extension School in particular? We do have a very flexible model, I would say, and we're investigating ways to have even more flexible additional models. When you think about an undergraduate degree program, you can't necessarily just take one course because you're interested and then be done with it. <laughs> you're signing up for the whole shebang, the degree. With the Silicon Valley Extension, like other extensions, students can come in and take one course. If that's the only course they're interested in, they can take that one course and then have a transcript that says they have taken this course. I've provided some skills verification letters to our students who are on student visas. And I've been able to go in and pro provide some additional documentation that said they took this specific course and now have these specific skills. So for example, as we're on our way to building the artificial intelligence certificate, before then, we're creating individual AI courses, and then we're finding that some of those courses can be wrapped together in specializations. So uh, one of the specializations that we are about to launch is AI for business, and that is inclusive of three different courses. <laughs> A student can come in and take one course if they want. Most of our courses are about 10 weeks. We do have some other courses that are shorter, maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks. When it comes to the specializations, those can be completed in about six to nine months. Millennials are going to change careers up to five to seven times. How do you do that? You can change your education. You can change your skills. And a good way to do that is to come in and take courses, to come in and take specializations and get those credentials that show that you now have the knowledge 
that can be applied to these different job titles and um, positions in industry. That is super good. Switching gears a little bit, we mentioned one artist uh, to kind of orient ourselves in where you come from in DJ Screw, but now we're going to ask you more broadly, okay? Which artist sort of most inspires the work that you do? And the reason we ask this is because there's a lot of overlap in content creators, creatives in general, in this field, in this tech field, and working with entrepreneurs and them creating, especially in your courses where you are more or less trying to say, hey, how do I be, like your mentor said, creative in this particular space? And artists are doing that on a regular basis. So uh, which of these artists that you've seen or come across in your journey is kind of most uh, responsible for inspiring your work today? The way I'll conceptualize it in my mind is like creatives. Like who are the creatives that inspire me? Is that okay? <laughs> Absolutely. We would love that. There's a part of me that hears music as a musician due to my classical training on the piano. I would say because of that, I am very attracted to musical artists who can play instruments. And so someone that I came across actually kind of recently, but have been just engrossed in their music is this artist called uh, Tim Duval Timothy. He's a pianist, a black male, I believe. And he has the most cool take on contemporary fused with jazz piano playing. Absolutely love it. Um, there's an artist that I cannot get enough of. Her name is Kelsey, Kelsey Liu. But what I love about um, Kelsey Liu is she plays so many instruments. She plays the cello very beautifully. A black woman as well. Of course, being from Houston, I have to, have to say Beyonce. Have to. She takes her time with her creativity. She does what's in her heart. And I love her business acumen. She is a true business woman. Anyone who has done old school conscious hip hop, they have always been in my heart in terms of how to attack different problems, how to be. Uh, so Talib Kweli comes to mind. Uh, Little Brother comes to mind. But then especially these days with you know the age of social media, I'm very attracted to um, digital creators. And so there's one that I've been watching recently, like a lot. And it's almost embarrassing to say how much I've been watching her content on YouTube, but she does such a beautiful, clean job in her craft. Um, she goes by the name Halise, which is her name. And just learning from her videos, she lives in Texas as well. Another black woman. I just love that she is so intelligent, but the way she shares her thoughts and converses, it's so relatable. And I love the way she's open-minded and can have an opinion of her own without bashing the opinions of others. And she's very broad with her topics, but it makes sense in terms of looking at all of the content that she's provided. I can see a similar three, a theme woven throughout each one. Um, there are other artists that come to mind in terms of like being a creative, um, lots of visual artists that I can't even name right now. Um, and really anyone who, I would say that you are a true artist in any sense of the word, when you can take nothing and turn it into something that was done through legal and uh, positive conducive means, not just for yourself, but for your loved ones and for your community. Those are people I look up to because I feel like in a sense, I'm kind of on the way to, well, I am on the way to doing that. Um, definitely, you know, was not dealt the best hand in life but in finding ways to be that flower that grows through the concrete. Come on now, you better put your name on the list too. <laughs> there it is. I can see it for sure, 100%. <laughs> in what ways 
does your background make it easier for you to succeed? And I'm told that there's, this is a twist on another question where people are like, you know, how has it made it more difficult and how you grind it? You've already covered that. And what ways does your background make it easier for you to succeed as you grow this extension school and reach more people who desperately, desperately need it? I love that question so much for so many reasons. One of the big reasons is, I'm just going to put this out there. I have always said, if there is a way, I don't care about your race, your ethnicity, if there's some way everyone could have a black mama, a black grandma, <laughs> even if it's just, you know, like a, the family that you select and not the family that you have. Black women have always had a beautiful talent of taking nothing and making it a beautiful something. I have witnessed that through, you know, being the daughter of my mother, being the niece of aunts. I don't have any biological sisters, but uh, the sisters that I do have in terms of, you know, friends who become family, just seeing the way we take nothing and make it something. That's a true business skill, to be honest. And I saw that firsthand in my role as the director of the engineering and technology program at Silicon Valley Extension. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars that I saved the organization by not having to pay to get into conferences because I came up with a trade barter model, going to these different organizers of conferences and saying that we like what you're doing, we would love to have a booth or a table in your conference. And keep in mind, these are tech conferences. They can be very expensive. <laughs> and just going to them saying, you know, while money is kind of off the table in terms of us paying thousands of dollars to have a booth or a table in your, in your conference, is there a way that we can trade barter? So can we provide you um, marketing on our platforms and you provide us a free table? And it's worked several times. <laughs> Actually, it's worked every single time I've approached these companies. <laughs> Because we advertise for them for free, you know, whereas, you know, they would have spent marketing budget on that. They didn't have to. And they provided us a table. So it's really a win-win situation there. And so many people at my job are asking me, how are you doing this? <laughs> like, how? There's no budget. We don't have a budget for you to go and spend all this money. Where are you getting money from? I was like, first of all, I'm not spending money. There's a, it's, it's all for free. <laughs> um, and they were asking me, like, how are you able to do this? And I, I told them to be very honest. And it was very bold for me to give this explanation being that when I first got hired, I was one of three black people in the building, which quickly within my first three months went to being the only black person in the building. <laughs> and I told them just straight up, I don't come from silver spoon type of, you know, not saying that my environment did because everyone has a story. I didn't come from means. I didn't definitely did not come from wealth. I came from the type of environment, the type of family where you have certain cards that were dealt to you. You have to figure out how to make nothing into something. I told them that's really what it was. You know, growing up where I was seeing at a certain point um, in my life and in my mom's life and my dad's life too, seeing that, you know, money wasn't really there in big numbers and really having to scrounge around. And sometimes, you know, a lot of times, somehow there was Christmas dinner. Somehow there was Thanksgiving dinner. And I'm like, how's that possible? I looked in the refrigerator. There's not that much there. I looked in the pantry, not that much there. And somehow there was something there. And, you know, just speaking to my um, family about it, there are lots of different things that you have to do when you don't come from much, where it does excite this uh, creativity in you. And like I said, that, that's a business skill. Absolutely. And so I think that that's one of the major things uh, when it comes to what I've been through in my background that's really helped me out today. I think the other thing is 
understanding how I roll in the world, how I live and how I move through the world as a black woman. As and I'm not to harp on it too much because I, I do relate to harp people. on it. They didn't know you had a superpower. <laughs> oh, I like that. Like, yes, absolutely. And it's like I love relating to people human to human. But I also very strongly recognize black people move through life very differently. We have to. And even more specifically, black women, we move through life very differently because we have to. And I think that that having to part is just like you say, you put it beautifully, it's a superpower. It builds within me such a strong empathy when I see someone being marginalized, when I see discrimination, when I see bigotry, when I see sexism, when I see classism, um, and even ageism for that matter, all of the intersections that a lot of times young black female professionals have to deal with on a regular basis, not just professionally, but even at home sometimes. And so I feel like, you know, being a black woman who didn't come from much, it has created this superpower in me where I can learn how to navigate different situations. There is, and it's, it's being fine-tuned, but I feel like there's this intuition that gets stronger and stronger every day. And it's been so helpful at work when I am vetting different possible industry partners. It's like a BS meter. <laughs> you know? When I'm here, something like, this is BS. <laughs> We're not going to go with it. And maybe colleagues are like, no, this is great. We should really try it. And I'm like, okay, if you need to hear the BS spiel, that's fine. I'm going to sit here quietly and take my notes. And then when the meeting's over, we will have our post meeting. And I will go through my list of why this is BS. I want to ask you about the geography a little bit, because it's come up a couple of times. How does being from Texas and Houston in particular give you an advantage in Silicon Valley? <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's a, that's a great question too. Um, and kudos to you. These questions are fire. So <laughs> it was interesting um, coming from Texas, which is you know in the Bible Belt. It's 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 really couched in that itself, the Bible Belt. I myself am not particularly religious, um, but I am spiritual. Coming from an environment where I would say in the different the work environments I've been in in Texas religion and God are spoken about a lot more freely without a lot of, I think the understanding is there, but I think maybe it's a matter of the environment. There are people in Texas workplaces that are not as religious as people might assume that they are. And so going to Silicon Valley, that was pretty different because there was vastly less speaking about religious and God. And I'm not going to lie, made, it, it made it very interesting because I, I saw that the spiritual side of me wanted to be even bigger. But then being in an environment where um, th- that focus wasn't there was interesting. And I was interesting in good ways. But then it also forced me to seek out like, okay, who, who are people here? Um, what I really appreciate about um, Silicon Valley is there are so many different types of people from different parts of the world who are represented there and they bring their different religious and spiritual backgrounds. In Texas, you speak to everyone. You say hello to every single person passing you. And a lot of times it's not just a hi, it's a, hey, how are you? There have been so many times where conversations, whole entire conversations have uh, come about with complete strangers in Texas. California, I personally, again, not for everyone, but for me, I didn't see that it was like that. Um, I would, I got my feelings hurt, not gonna lie. When I moved out there in 2018, um, didn't have a lot of people speaking back to me when I would speak to them. And then just kind of learned, okay, let me just, you know, if I'm leaving my place, let me just go on and handle my business. Don't necessarily have to speak to every single person on the street. And then coming back here to Texas, 
I had to retrain myself. Okay, you have to speak to people when you're passing them. Um, I also think the pace is a, is a little, it's a lot different, if I'm being honest. For me, I found that Silicon Valley and that part of California was uh, faster paced. And it could be that because I was so much having to be entrenched in what was going on in the tech industry, things move very quickly. Things can move quickly in, in Texas and specifically the Houston, greater Houston area. But it just seems like there's a Southern comfort to everything <laughs> that Texans do, which I appreciate. It's very nice. But then I also have to be very honest and see that the Southern hospitality for some people is, is, is real and it's genuine and authentic. For other people, it's passive aggressive. And I have to call some people out. Because I'm just like, okay, you're saying, you know, certain things to, to me, but I can tell by the way I'm actually being treated, you know, something's going on here. So name a pivot that you think saved your career. Because you have had quite a journey, I mean, very deep on the educational front. Was there something that happened? You came sort of to a fork in the road. You could have gone this way. You could have gone this way, but you chose this way and it made all the difference. Yeah, definitely that microelectronic photonics engineering program that did not work out. That made a huge difference, I would say, in the rewarding feeling that I have in my career. Sorry, that's my dog. <laughs> in my career that I have. If I were to have stayed in engineering, I am positive I would have done probably a lot better financially because it's very well known education, higher education is not known to be one of the most affluent industries regarding how they pay, unless you're in certain very high positions. But for engineering, it's different, right? But I was really having to pay, pay strong attention to what I was going through in terms of being in microelectronic photonics, being in engineering, not feeling fulfilled, not really seeing anyone like me. And really spending the vast majority of my time in labs with chemicals and equipment, not talking to people. I think the very strong pivot, very helpful and important pivot here was moving from an industry, specifically the one that I have. There are some sectors in engineering that are more people focused. That wasn't necessarily the one that I was being trained to be in. Moving from an industry that was more people focused in terms of who we're targeting in terms of our audience but also in terms of working with people more so than working with chemicals and equipment. That was a hard pivot for me, but it was important because I feel like people's skills are important. And I honestly, just for me, I kind of felt like my people skills were starting to kind of turn into that caricature of the sciences that a lot of us have, where, you know, we're just wanting to be with ourselves and our chemicals and equipment and our experiments, especially if you have an experiment that takes up a lot of your time, if you're, if you're dealing with something that's living there was an internship I had where we were dealing with cells that need to be fed every four hours. Oh I God. had no time to do anything because <laughs> every four hours I had to pause and go feed the cells. So I think that that pivot changed a lot because I was able to find educational psychology, which turned out to be a field that I could not only find success in, but I could thrive. And I feel that a lot of educational psychology speaks to who I am as a person and allows for me to be expressive in different ways, creatively, professionally, and even personally. Since your dog wants to get in, what's your dog's name? What is your dog? <laughs> Don't judge me. Her name is Khaleesi. <laughs> nice. That's a good yeah. name. I heard that name before, but okay, Khaleesi, we, we see you in the background. So you want to pipe in, feel free to join whenever you want. <laughs> Which communities have been the most helpful in sort of growing your vision? And you have, it seems like multiple brands. You have UC, you have your personal brand. Which communities have been most helpful in really supporting you and your vision? Right. So I would say to speak from like more general communities to more specific, 
the general communities, definitely communities of caring, strong Black women, first and foremost, inclusive of caring, strong Black men. <laughs> and then broadening that, um, communities of humans who truly want to see other people succeed and are not only mentors, but are champions for those people, regardless of gender, race, or ethnicity. I think to go from there, definitely, I would be remiss if I did not mention the Norfolk State University, my alma mater. That was the first time I had ever been introduced to so many gifted, talented, brilliant Black students, whom a lot of today, or a lot of them today are medical doctors, physicists, chemists, biologists, mathematicians, computer scientists, and they're Black. You know, I just saw a lot of them. So when I hear that there are disparities, I always have to understand that, yes, those disparities are there. For me, it was hard to accept that because I came from a group full of those people. <laughs> I was one of those people. So I'll say definitely Norfolk State University for instilling a sense of discipline, a sense of pride in who I was as a Black woman and as a Black person. And as someone who was going to go into uh, the STEM field, definitely shout out to the educational psychology program at um, the University of Houston, specifically their program focusing on professional leadership in special populations, giving me the opportunity to earn a doctorate was phenomenal. But then they did extra, they gave extra support. I was so thankful, still very thankful and, and blessed and fortunate. Our, the program that I was in at the University of Houston was run by folks who I would consider behavioralists. So these are people with you know, psychology background, um, behavior background, and they were able to not only talk to us about the information and knowledge that we need to learn as doctoral students, but specifically my research chair at the time, Dr. Jackie Hawkins, I will never forget where there, she gives check-ins on us as humans, but from a behavior standpoint. <laughs> and that's when she was able to correctly identify I had imposter syndrome. And I also was grappling with perfectionism. And I didn't know what to name it, but it's, it, it taught me, number one, it's important to name things because uh, then you can know how to battle it. You can know, you know what skills you need to cope with it um, and improve it. Um, but she helped me to see that there are certain things that are within me that are holding me back or making things more challenging than they need to be. Um, so I would definitely shout out that particular group. I would also shout out um, the UC for taking a chance on me, Silicon Valley Extension for taking a chance on me. From what I understand, they needed someone who did have my educational psychology background, but also a STEM background. There are not a whole lot of us in the world, but we do exist. <laughs> and it was a risk for me to try to find a way to get a career out of that intersection since no one has really come to me or I haven't found anyone who said, you know, this is a viable career path. If you would have asked me in undergrad, is this a career that I thought existed? I would have said, no, I haven't heard anything about it. So definitely shout out to Silicon Valley Extension for taking this chance on me. Um, and I'll also say just shout out to, again, this kind of goes back to the general, shout out to the different organizations and communities and just individual people who understand that there's a plethora of individual difference from person to person, regardless of their packaging, and find ways to connect, support, and love each other. I call those people my tribe. I'm very happy that I have that tribe. I'm very excited about how diverse that tribe is with age, race, gender, socioeconomic status, everything. It's, it's been 
a journey and I'm, I'm very fortunate to have these people on my journey. And I'm hoping I'm contributing something back into their lives as well. Oh, one more organization, SAS. This is a nonprofit organization by one of my good friends, Tierra Gilder, author Tierra Gilder. SAS stands for Sisters Advocating Second Steps. And it's built on the premise of, you know, it's so easy to say, I want to do this, I want to do that. That's your first step. But what are you doing in terms of your second step, following it up with actionable items to reach the goals that you've laid out for yourself? Through that organization, it's really caused me to question, what am I doing to turn my wishes into goals and goals into plans so that I can actually have you know, a life that shows I had a thought, I had something that I wanted to do, but here I am actually doing it. So shout out to the Sassy Sisters, as I follow them. Yeah, so I think, that, I think that's about it. That's quite a list, uh, power packed. In fact, you and I don't think we've discussed this yet. So I'll give you a little bit of background before I ask this next question. This kind of all came about this diverse tech founders, you know, podcast and, and community through an app launch party that became multiple app launch parties in the future. And, and it's not unique to us. We didn't sort of come up with the idea, but essentially what we did was we invited, you know, 50 or so folks into an apartment, a homey kind of comfortable, you know, art field aesthetic, uh, with people who were interested in technology and we would profile a founder, that founder would come, we would all hundred percent of us download the app, use the app, and have interaction with that particular founder, had a little agenda. Uh, I would welcome people say, hey, we're here because less than 1% of tech startup capital goes to founders of color, right? Like this is why we're here because we're trying to leverage the one thing that's older than capital and that's people like you and me. And that feedback is actually quite expensive. And we were providing that basically at a very low cost to people. Uh, through wine and pizza, right? Uh, so we would have the person who was hosting or the venue speak. We would have an interfaith blessing of the app from one of our spiritual leaders come. Okay? I love that. It was awesome and unifying us, okay? Then we would pull somebody at random from the audience and have them talk about why it was important for us to be there in the room. And then the founder would give a speech and then there was a Q&A session. And this question is about that Q&A session when you, I'm not going to say if, because one day you will be in attendance, I am sure, when you come to an app launch party for one of these founders, what is a question you think you would ask at this app launch party? Oh, wow. That, I love that question. Um, so I think there are two that come to mind, actually. That's okay. I love hearing people's origin stories, especially as the origin story maps to what they produce. Mm-hmm. So I would love to ask, like, what is it that you experienced? Where did you come from? And that journey, like the connecting dots mm-hmm. in terms of how did you get started? What motivated you, motivated you to get started? And what sustains you? And why this thing? So I guess those are a couple of like sub-questions, but like why this thing? And I think the next big question is, who's your support? Because I can only imagine, you know, I haven't, gotten a business together of my own at this point yet i have too many ideas which is a problem but uh, <laughs> i know that at some point um, i will have a business and something that does terrify me is how do you sustain yourself especially if you're first starting off because you have to be everything the ceo the founder the marketing maven the accountants <laughs> everything and so we'd love to hear um how are people sustaining themselves mentally physically emotionally financially especially if you're just being in and what's some of the software that you can use to make things easier. Yeah. I think those are the two big questions I would ask. 
Like who, so the first question is who are you and why? Like what led to that? And then the second was how do you keep going? Both very strong questions. I love hearing about folks' origin stories. And I think sometimes it gets a bit lost, that narrative, because we get so into, you know, what's your CAC, what's your LTV, what's the revenue, and all of that is important. And you're going to mention it, but you're really invested in the person as well. Like, is this the right person to do this thing? So does it feel like we've come to sort of the, the conclusion? We've been going and rocking and rolling for a little over an hour here. Uh, but this last question is one of my favorites. Spoiler alert, we're going to have one more question. So we figure out how we can stay in touch with you. But until then, can you describe what's the most valuable thing that you do for your students? Like when folks come to the extension program, what is the most valuable thing that you're able to provide them? Oh, man, that I love this question because it actually comes as a point of pride for me. So when I first came into the extension, they had these things called info sessions, which gave a lot of information about particular courses and programs, which is great and is needed because people need to hear that, especially if maybe this is the first time you're hearing about the extension. What I was finding at that time in the role of the director of the engineering and technology department is that students were yearning for deeper information. The technical skills are foundational, they're important, they're key. However, those other conversations about how do I get into certain companies? Do I actually want to work in that company? What's the culture? Where am I standing now in terms of my skills versus the skills I need to have for a particular job? What kind of jobs are actually going to be in this field three to five years from now um, as influenced by the industry trends? How are, what are the specific skills that map to, so specific skills that they learn in the course and how do they map to specific skills for job titles? I was finding that different students were having those questions and it was getting a little exhausting having to funnel, you know, students to instructors one to one um, manually. And I thought, why not just have a community conversation about this? We have access to some of the most brilliant minds in Silicon Valley. And so that's when I created the career exploration series, which is now the job market insights that we have. Uh, when I first created it, it was on site This is, you know, for, uh, before the pandemic. And a lot of it focused on AI since, you know, it's a disruptive industry. And I just pulled together the industry experts in AI that we had. And we uh, together curated a list of questions, had conversations with the attendees. And they were always well attended and they were free. That was important. It was like, I want these things to be free and accessible to anyone who's interested in AI as a career. That went very well. And I told them I didn't want the career exploration series to just be within the engineering and technology department because these are applicable conversations for all of the departments that we have represented. Um, speaking of business and management, uh, design, education, and bioscience. And so since then, with the pandemic, um, of course, those questions are still there in terms of students wanting to know, I guess, like the soft skills questions, I guess you can call them. So we have now the job market insights. So it's like career exploration series remix for the curtain backdrop of our current time with the pandemic. I would say that's like a point of pride because again, it was taking nothing and making it something. Within that something with career exploration series, one of the most fun and most rewarding career exploration series that we did was across industry panels for women in leadership. I will never forget that. And it's still giving me returns to this day. People are contacting me and saying, you know, you put on this event and I moderated it, got together the different uh, panelists and had questions for them, had a great conversation. And it's like I said, still giving me returns to this day because people are contacting me saying that they attended the event 
without my being a panelist on their event. And I just love creating this community based upon this idea I had, which to be honest, didn't have a lot to do with my job title <laughs> and my duties. But I think this is a good idea and I see the need for it. And I'm very thankful for Silicon Valley Extension Leadership, again, taking a chance on me and, and listening to me as the phrase goes, you know, listen to black women, you know, and when I take risks, they're calculated. I'm a chemist and I'm highly analytical. I usually don't do a lot of things just for funsies, you know, it's, there's that part of me that is spontaneous and human that needs to do that. But when it comes to work, I try to calculate those risks as much as possible, especially if there's no budget. And so I would say that that is something that I'm so proud of in terms of being able to, to give back. That's huge. Valuable. There's that creative element, you know, creating something out of nothing. You see, you saw a problem and a need and it sounds like it, it was wildly successful. So kudos to you for that. Uh, we've come to the end of the hardcore, you know, hard hitting question segment. Uh, and now if you were listening to this, and you love everything that Dr. Utoatuk was speaking about today and want to get in touch, how can we do that? And how can people get linked up to the Silicon Valley Extension School? Because I, I can already think of people right now who are like, hey, I'm trying to learn about AI. I'm trying to get into AI, among others, data analytics. I want to learn how to code. How do I uh, make sure that I'm up to date with all of the new platforms out there and the, and the new coding? Cloud-based, right? A whole bunch of stuff. So how can we get in touch with you if you're like hey i want to send something out today and i want to get a response as soon as possible have the highest chance of creating a dialogue or i want to sign up today where can we do that i would point people to my linkedin page please go to linkedin do a search search my name first name m as in mary a y e n as in nancy last name u as an umbrella d as in david o e t as in tom you as an umbrella, K as in kite. Search for me, Dr. Maya Dotuk is what it'll say. Add me, send me a message. I would love to converse. I absolutely love connecting with people who are not only like-minded, but even people who are um, so beyond my progress because uh, there's something that I could learn from you as well. Awesome. That sounds good. Now you know how to keep the conversation going. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for popping into the studio and uh, we are looking forward to all that you are going to do moving forward. So with that, we will bid you adieu. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the experience. Likewise. Thanks for joining this week on Diverse Tech Founders with Abraham J. Williamson. If you found value in this show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. You can do it right now. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us too. Thanks again.